Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to go to Mark Grace's favorite book, the book of Jonah, book of Jonah, chapter one is where we'll start out. We're in the middle of a 12 Sunday morning series through the minor prophets, one sermon per minor prophet. We've looked at Hosea, and Hosea told us that God's love is radical, so radical that it's even foolish, his love for us, so radical. We've looked at Amos. Amos was a nobody who told God's people, you need to take care of the nobodies around you. Joel was a man who had just witnessed uh, a locust swarm, a devastating natural tragedy, And through that tragedy, God spoke through him and said that God speaks through our circumstances, the circumstances of our lives. Last week, we looked at Obadiah as he railed at the nation of Edom, and he basically said to them that what you put, what you get out of life, out of church, out of your relationships, out of your marriage, depends upon what you put into life, what you put into church, what you put into your relationships, and what you put into your marriage. Today... We're going to look at what is probably the most familiar and well-known and popular of all the 12 minor prophets, the book of Jonah. But before we look at verse 1, I want you to imagine a scenario that you and I have never witnessed here. Imagine that a small group in our church started sharing their faith and making an impact in their family and in their neighborhood and their kids in their schools and the adults where they work. And imagine that in the course of a single year, because of the efforts of that small group within Palmetto Baptist Church, every student at Creekside High School, and every student at Northgate High School, and every student at East Coweta High School, including all the teachers, and every student at Trinity and Arlington and Landmark and Heritage, every single student and faculty member that wasn't Christian gave their lives to Christ. On top of that, everybody in your subdivision and in your neighborhood and on your road, every one of your neighbors all of a sudden gave their lives to Christ within a year's time. I mean, such a widespread spreading of the good news of Christ and widespread reception of the salvation and eternal life of Christ that that everywhere, everybody is talking about it. It's the front burner subject, not the Braves, not the Falcons, not the weather, not the World Series, (laughs) but what's happening among people throughout this area. Can you imagine that? That's what you call revival. Revival. A real revival is this. It is the visible moving of God in a particular group of people starting out in a particular place over an indefinite period of time changing the lives of everybody it touches. That is a real revival. And most people, most people, including most of us right here today, will go through our whole lives without really experiencing that kind of revival. Now, you may experience a short-term period where you rededicate your life to Christ and, and, and things happen in your life, and you might impact your kids and maybe your spouse and maybe a brother or sister or aunt and uncle or two, and pretty much it lasts for a few months and then it kind of fades out. I'm talking, though, about a, a revival that impacts a huge geographic area and every person in that area. Our nation of over 200 years' history has only had really two, maybe three such periods 
the first and second great awakenings, and maybe, maybe, it's too early to tell yet, a movement that started in the early part of the last century and is, and is still in fragments going on today, but it's still too early to know if it was real revival. Real revival is so very rare, but it's what we so much need. Now, the reason I bring that up to you is, in the book of Jonah, we will read about what I believe was the most successful single revival in the history of the world, especially for the short time frame that it took to put it together. Now, you, you may have someone like a Billy Graham whose ministry spans uh, the, all the decades of his life and millions of people have heard him through radio, TV, internet, and so forth, and they've given their lives to Christ. But when you think about 2,850 years ago, no TV, no internet, no radio, no printing press, no mass media, and yet here in a single three-day revival... 300,000 people are saved, averaging 100,000 people a day. That's what we're about to read about. The title of this message, though, is One Person Who Refused to Repent. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. About 2,850 to 880 years ago, there was the nation of Israel. The king was a fellow by the name of Jeroboam II. And one of, the, one of the most popular spokespersons for God at that period in Israel's history was a prophet whose name was Jonah. He was a patriotic prophet. He was a nationalistic prophet. He loved Israel. He loved Israel's God. He wanted the best for Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 14, we see where Jonah campaigned for the expansion of the borders of Israel, of, of the Palestinian uh, the borders of Israel. And so he was, he was proud of his nation. He loved his nation. He lived in a little uh, harbor town, on a coastal town, on the eastern side of what is now Israel, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, a little town called Gethheber. Gethheber. I'm sure that you've heard of Gethheber. Boy, everybody's studying Gethheber. Well, Jonah lived there, and God spoke to him and would tell him things to tell the other people in Israel. Jonah was the man people went to. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 1 that the word of the Lord came <clears throat> to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and told him, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to preach against it. I want you to preach my news, my good news, to the people of Nineveh. Now that's a problem right there. That's a problem because in the day that Jonah lived, the superpower of the moment was a nation by the name of Assyria. Assyria was located in part 
in, in modern day Iraq, but Iraq was not all of, of what Assyria encompassed, but it was, it was centralized right where Iraq is, where the Tigris and Euphrates River flow north of current Babylon. Uh, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Now think about this. Assyria is the superpower. They, they are, are controlling every other nation of the world. The capital is Nineveh. And here is Jonah, an Israelite who is very proud of his nation, very patriotic, very nationalistic. And God says, Jonah, I want you to get up and go to Nineveh and preach to that great city. Well, <laughs> Jonah hated Nineveh. Jonah hated Assyria as did most Israelites, and his hatred for Nineveh, at least at this point, at the beginning of this book, was greater than his love for doing what the Lord wanted him to do. And so he got up, and the Bible says that instead of going on a northeasterly route toward Nineveh, he went in the 180 degree opposite direction to the west, and he boarded a ship in the port town of Joppa, which is uh, today Tel Aviv, boarded a ship in Joppa for a, a place called Tarshish. Now, there is debate about exactly what Tarshish was or where Tarshish was. There's debate about the identity of Tarshish. There are some scholars who will tell us that there was a city called Tarshish that was on the coast of Spain. Now, if that was the Tarshish that Jonah was, was uh, cruising toward, then, and keep in mind, in that day, they didn't know there was a North American or South American continent way out here. As far as they were concerned, Spain was the dropping off place. In other words, for Jonah, if, if the Tarshish in Spain was the one he's headed toward, it was the farthest point of land from Nineveh that he could possibly go toward. There are others who say that Tarshish was a city uh, on the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea called later in the New Testament Tarsus, which is also, as you who've read the New Testament know, was the Apostle Paul's hometown. It could have been there. But you know, I also read where the, the name Tarshish was a term that sailors and ship captains would give to any trading ship that was going to anywhere to trade goods. In other words, an anywhere destination ship or a wherever destination ship. I kind of like that. I don't know if that's exactly what Jonah had in mind, but I do know this. Wherever Jonah was going, he wanted to board a ship that was going anywhere but Nineveh. And so he got on this ship. Now you remember the story. In fact, this is the part of the story that we remember to the neglect of the real part of the story. You see, if I were to ask most of us here today, if I were to say, okay, there's one main theme, one main point to the book of Jonah, what do you think it is? Most people who would be willing to say what it is or what they think it is would say this, running away from God, the perils of running away from God. Because that's what we've read about, Jonah running away from God, getting thrown over a ship, Swallowed up by a fish. That's the story that we were raised in Sunday school and vacation Bible school hearing, running away from God. But running away from God, although it is a, an, a, an essential part of the story of Jonah, it is not the main point of the book. And so I want to challenge you to go a little bit deeper than running away from God 
And I want you to ask this question. Why was Jonah running away from God? Because the answer to that question, why was Jonah running away from God, will take you, if you pursue it, to the real theme behind the book of Jonah. Jonah takes this ship. They hadn't left the port of Joppa very long when a storm arose, developed, and it started beating the ship. The sailors who, who operated the ship, navigated the ship, they were afraid were, that the ship was about to be destroyed, that their lives were in danger. They were not people who knew the Lord God of the Israelites, but they were men who believed in some form of God or gods. They were superstitious men. They were men of faith. And they immediately began to reason within themselves. The reason this storm has come, they thought, is because somebody on board this ship has offended God or the gods. And so they began to discuss, trying to figure out who among them it was who had done this. They began to throw cargo overboard to save the ship, but it didn't do any good. The storm kept beating the ship threatening to destroy it. And finally, they drew lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Oh gosh, folks, it's Jonah. It's our guest Jonah, who is the one who's offended God. This is the reason for the storms. But they were merciful men. It's interesting how much more merciful they were than Jonah was. Jonah wasn't merciful at all. Go to Nineveh and preach to that city, Jonah. No way. Hate the Ninevites. Headed, east, headed west. He shows no mercy. The sailors show mercy to him. They don't throw him overboard immediately. They try to navigate the storm unsuccessfully. And finally they say, Jonah, we're really sorry, but we're going to have to let you go, brother, or else the whole ship's going to die. And they throw Jonah overboard. And the Bible says that God prepared a great fish. And the fish came along and swallowed Jonah. And Jonah, miraculously, through divine intervention, survived living three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. Now, it should not come as a major surprise to us that after spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, Jonah decided it might be a good idea to do what God wanted him to do for a change. And so he starts, he starts crying out to God, well, God, be merciful to me. You're the God who sustains me, and you put me in the belly of this fish. I'll go to Nineveh if that's what you want me to do. And the Bible says that God caused the, the, the fish to vomit Jonah up on the beach. Now, just capture that image for a minute if you can. And smell this man. Take a look at him. He couldn't get a date if he had to buy one. And so then from the coastal region of Israel, he travels all the way up to Nineveh. It's about 900 miles. And when he finally gets to Nineveh, he gets to the city limit sign and he starts a three-day revival. It was an interesting one. He did all the preaching and he went through the whole city preaching. He preached the same sermon every night. Uh, most Baptists would have liked it. It was short. I, I know how you are. Most Baptists would not sit through a 45-minute to an hour sermon. It's all you can do. 30 minutes is about tops for you. I know that. I've seen you check out. A lot of you would prefer a 15 or 20-minute one. You'd have loved Jonah because this one lasted every bit of about 20 to 30 seconds. It was short. Jonah gets up, 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Hmm. 
We'll all stand and have the invitation. That's the way it was. That's not, even, that's not even five, ten seconds, really. And that's the only sermon he ever preached. There was no mercy in it. And he wasn't really passionate about it. He didn't want to be there. He was only there because God made him do it. You can ask him. That's the reason he was there. He had no love for the Ninevites. And after the third day of preaching, he turns around and he goes out of the city limits and there's a little hill that overlooks the city of Nineveh. Jonah goes up on that hill and he camps out there and he is perched so that he can observe what God is going to do to the nation, to the city of Nineveh. Now you'd think after preaching three days, after having traveled 900 miles and then preaching three days, being exhausted as he was, he'd come up, rest a little bit, and maybe pray for the people to respond positively. Oh, no, 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 no. Not Jonah. Jonah didn't get up on that hill to see the people respond positively. He went up on that hill to see God destroy those wretched Ninevites. I've never seen a preacher like Jonah. God called him to go preach a revival. Most preachers will preach at the drop of a hat and jump, eagerly jump at the opportunity to preach at a revival, especially one with 300,000 people, which is what Nineveh had. God had to make Jonah go. And then when he went and he preached, I don't know of a preacher who, when he preaches in a revival, doesn't want the altars full of people, some receiving Christ, some joining the church, some rededicating their lives, some helping their their relationships and marriages, but altars full. Preachers love that. Just ask them. They do. Not Jonah. Jonah didn't want anybody to respond. I've never seen a preacher like Jonah. He gets up on that hill... And he wants Nineveh to be destroyed. And then, things didn't turn out exactly like Jonah had planned. Because one by one, beginning with the king in the palace, all the way down to the pauper who was homeless on the streets of Nineveh, every single citizen of Nineveh turned to the Lord. Some estimates are 300,000 people turned to the Lord. Now, that ought to make a preacher rejoice, not Jonah. Made him mad. He got mad. The Bible says in chapter 4, verse 1, made him mad. Lord, this did I not know, this is exactly what I knew you'd do. If these people repent, I knew, I knew this is what you'd do. It'd be better that I be dead than have to be here. Can you imagine that? A preacher get up and preach a three-day revival, and when he gets through, people respond, and it makes him say, I'd rather be dead than people get saved. That's Jonah. What was Jonah's problem? Why was he running away from the Lord? Why was he so reluctant? Why would he rather eat raw tuna from the inside of a fish, then go to Nineveh. Why? There's an answer to it, but, but we're not going to like it. Are you ready for it? I'm going to tell you, but you're not going to like it. He was prejudiced. In all of the Old Testament, you will struggle to find a more prejudiced man than Jonah. 
And he was so filled with prejudice that he allowed his prejudice to restrict him from being the servant God wanted him to be. Let me ask you this. Have you ever struggled with prejudice? I've noticed that you bring up that word and it gets quiet in churches in the South when you talk about prejudice. But it's not just in the South, is it? It's everywhere. And if you think it's gone, think again. Let me tell you what prejudice did to Jonah and what prejudice will do to you and me. First of all, prejudice will keep you from loving the people God loves. Now, Jonah hated the Ninevites because Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and Jonah hated the Assyrians about as much as I hate the New York Yankees. I'm thinking that maybe revival has started in America because the Yankees and the Phillies, two God-forsaken baseball teams, are out of the World Series. No, Jonah's hatred for Nineveh makes my feelings toward the Yankees look like I'm in love with them. He hated them. I'm not talking about a dislike. I'm talking about he hated them. And his hatred for them compelled him to run away from Nineveh rather than go toward Nineveh. But let me tell you something, folks, and this is something that I find at times a little bit aggravating about God. God will love the folks you don't. I want you just to picture a group of people or maybe a single person that you dislike the most in this world. Just picture them. You got it? You you got that person there, that man, that woman, that group? You got them? Maybe they've offended you. Maybe they said something bad about your kids. Maybe they said something about the rest of your family, about your mama. Nobody talks about mama now. Or maybe it's some group, you haven't met them, you just don't like them. You just dislike them. Listen to me. That person or that group, God loves them. That boy that showed up at your door one day, dad, that had the just below shoulder length hair and the scraggly beard, and he came over there to pick up your girl, God loves that Ninevite boy. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He loves that Ninevite boy. He loves the person you don't like. And the person that you'd really like for God to take revenge on, and you can even get the point in your dislike of that person that you ask God in kind of a subtle way, oh, God, I humbly come before you and ask you to kill that man. (laughs) What's God going to do? God's going to love that man. The people you don't like, God will like. God likes the people you don't like who may have a different skin color. God likes the people you may not like whose accent is different. God likes the people you don't like who come from a different country or are born from somewhere else. God likes the people you don't like who may be of a different religion. We'd call it a false religion. Certainly, I believe it is. But God loves them. Prejudice will keep you from loving the people God loves. God will always love the people you and I don't. 
God loves politicians. I don't know how. But he does. Number two, prejudice will keep you from being used by God to show love to the people you don't love. Prejudice will keep you from being used by God. Now imagine this, of all the prophets that God could have chosen, of all the people God could have chosen to carry his word to the capital of the superpower of the world at that time. God chose Jonah. What a great honor. God wanted to use this man to bring a revival where nobody thought revival could be possible. And what does Jonah do? He wants to go to anywhere but Nineveh. And he caught a boat to Tarshish, meaning anywhere but Nineveh. His prejudice kept him from allowing God to use him to love the people that he didn't love. Number three. Prejudice may cause you to do the right things for the wrong reasons. After experiencing a a near shipwreck and being... Uh, spotlighted for disobeying God and thrown off a ship and almost drowning and swallowed up by a fish and living three days and three nights in the belly of that fish and then being vomited up on the beach, Jonah finally decided, I better go to Nineveh. Travels 900 miles and he gets to Nineveh. And he goes through a three-day revival, preaching the same message to every single person. He was no respecter of persons, preached the same thing to everybody. Did he do it because all of a sudden Jonah had a newfound love for the Ninevites? No. Did he do it because all of a sudden the love of God had infiltrated his heart and caused him to melt in his cause for the people of Assyria? No. He still hated the Ninevites and he still couldn't stand the Assyrians. The only reason he went is because... Now he had a fear of God that outweighed his dislike of the Ninevites. He went and did the right thing, but he was doing it for the wrong reasons. Listen, when we preach the good news to people, when we teach the good news to people, when we share our faith to people, we need to do it out of a motivation of God loves you so much he gave his own son for you, and I want to love you no less motivated by love, but not Jonah. His prejudice prompted him to do the right things for the wrong reasons. The writer John Piper brought up something in regard to this. He said this, and I quote, he says, Have you ever heard anyone say, God won't use a dirty vessel? Have you ever heard that from anybody? Here's what John Piper said. He said, You ever heard anyone say, God won't use a dirty vessel? It's well meant, but it's overstated. He said, Jonah was a dirty vessel vessel. He was dirty with selfishness, with hard-heartedness, and dirty with prejudice, and yet God saved the whole city through his preaching. The power of God is not limited to our purity. Boy, that's pretty amazing. Finally, prejudice can keep you from enjoying the fruits of God's work in you. So Jonah goes up there and he preaches. He goes up on the uh, hill so he can witness the destruction of Nineveh and all those, those terrible Ninevites who deserve to be destroyed. And all of a sudden they all repent. And God shows mercy to them. And Jonah gets 
angry with God and angry with the situation. And then he starts having a mini heat stroke up there on that hill. And God provides a a leafy plant, a vine. The King James Version says a gourd. I like that, a gourd. Have you ever seen a plant uglier than a gourd? I mean, you know, I mean, you might be a redneck if in your yard you've got one of those trees full of gourds. God provides a gourd, and the Bible says that Jonah loved the gourd, and he sat under the shade, I don't know what kind of shade a gourd vine could provide, sat under the shade of that gourd, and he loved the gourd. And it wasn't long after Jonah had become infatuated with the gourd. Now get this, he loves the gourd, but he hated the people of Nineveh. He got infatuated with the gourd, and God sent a worm to chew up the vine, and it withered and went away, and Jonah got mad again, wanted to die again, and God said, are you, are you right to be angry over this gourd, Jonah? And Jonah says, well, yeah, I'm right to be angry, and God says, well, don't you think that I ought to also love these people of Nineveh, where there are about 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand, and there's a whole lot of cattle and stuff down there, too? But we leave the book of Jonah without Jonah ever changing. Now, he may have. I don't know. Do you like watching a television program or a movie and it ends unresolved? Does that just tear you up? And here we are, Jonah. God asked him this question. He's trying to work with him mercifully to get him to love the people of Nineveh and rejoice over the Ninevites turning to God. And what does Jonah do? We end the book of Jonah without him repenting. Isn't it amazing, folks, that of all the people who are in the book of Jonah, four chapters, but but those four chapters encompass the lives. You don't see the names of all of them, but these four chapters touch the lives of well over 300,000 people. And of all those people, you got the sailors who, though they didn't understand the real uh, picture of God, they, they cried out to God when the waves hit. You got the Ninevites, every one of whom the Bible says turned to the Lord in repentance. Of all the people in the book of Jonah, there was one person who refused to repent. And guess what? It was the preacher. When we end the book, the only person who didn't make a change was Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered 
covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. End of story. What an ending. Oh, I forgot. That's not the end of the story. Chapter 4, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take away my life. It'd be better for me to die. Than to live. You ever dislike someone? Have you ever really hated someone, but you knew that hate was something bad in the Bible, and so you tried to water it down to dislike? Or you'd put it this way, well, I love them, but I hate their ways. I I hate their ways. But I love them because the Lord commands me to love them. I have to watch that. Because my dislike, my dislike of someone is walking on ice and slips so easily into the lake of hatred. And by the way, if I dislike somebody enough that I'm willing to listen to somebody tell me something negative about that somebody and applaud it without checking it, it's not dislike. That's hate. And by the way, if I dislike somebody and I gladly share negative things I've heard about that person without checking them out to see if they're true. Hey, that's not dislike. That's hate. Don't try to water down your hate. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we appreciate the book of Jonah. We've read it for a long time. About that man who ran away from God, got thrown into the sea and swallowed up by a fish. But, Lord, sometimes the the childlike quality of that story keeps us from seeing the, the ugly underlying truth to that story And the truth simply is that God's people sometimes are prejudiced. And that prejudice in God's people is unacceptable to the one true God. So Lord, I pray that you would help us in our 
prejudice or help us in whatever kind of sin it is that we as saved people struggle with. Help us to be people of real truth. And help us to be people who care as much about that other person or group of persons as you do. Help us to modify our lives so that we are in line with Christ. And Lord, as we enter this invitation time, I pray for those who are here who've never given their lives to Jesus Christ to be their Savior and Lord. Lord, help that person or persons to move out from where they are when we stand to sing and come to this altar and say, I, I don't know how to do it, don't understand everything about it, but I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want to ask Jesus in my heart. I want to be saved. Lord, get us out of Tarshish and get us to where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.